Hello and welcome to the World of Emotions and the Emotion Focus podcast, a series all about emotions, how they work for us, how seemingly sometimes they don't work for us, and how we might understand that and perhaps do something about it. I'm Lou Cooper. I'm based in Melbourne, Australia. I'm your host, and I'm joined in this series by people from around the globe who have dedicated most of their professional lives to the exploration of emotions. Everything you hear in this series is informed by emotion theory and emotion-focused therapy. Who is the boss? Now, you may think that we're about to launch into a discussion about political wranglings in organisations, and in a way we are, but we're focusing on one particular organisation here, and that is the family. And I'm joined in this particular exploration by Dr. Joanne Dalhunty, who is a supervising and consulting clinical psychologist who provides emotion-focused teaching to parents and professionals around the globe and is the developer of emotion-focused skills training for parents and powered by emotion for organizational leadership. Joanne is also the developer with Dr. Leslie Greenberg of emotion-focused therapy for eating disorders. And right now, I think I find Joanne in Toronto in Canada. Is that right, Joanne? That's right. Thank you for taking some time out of what is an extremely busy schedule to speak with me. You know, there are lots of things that we could talk about and maybe we will further down the track. But for this particular episode, we're going to focus on the family. And I'm wondering maybe before we do that, we need to explain what we're meaning by family. Well, I guess we are talking about emotion-focused skills training for parents. So, of course, by talking about skills for parents, we're talking about the emotion in the whole family. And when we talk about parents, we mean the parents of little kids, teens, and even adult children, which is how we actually started this work, is working with the parents of adults who were struggling with some kind of mental health or emotional difficulty. Now, I want to immediately say, you know, to answer that question, who is the boss? Well, surely the parent or parents are the boss. Oh, my gosh, Lou. I would like to say the same thing. And as parents, we would both like to say that. And we'd love to tell it to all of your listeners. Of course, parents are the boss. And then we wouldn't be able to say that with a straight face. So we have to go a little further. So as you're saying that, you know, I have an image of quite a small child basically dictating what happens in a family because and, and, that, that is what happens often. I mean, it's what happens when you've got a baby. The world does really revolve around that baby, doesn't it? It does. And let's, before we even talk about that situation, let's also bring the parent into the picture. We could say, okay, the baby is the new boss. The thing we really love to talk to parents about is it's not like when you become a parent you stop being the person you were. So parents are just the same old people they were, and now they live with these bossy little people called babies or young children or teens, or sometimes and often they still have adult children under their roof or under their influence. 
how do these power dynamics work then when you say there's all these all these individuals? Yeah. So I think, first of all, the word power is the most important one to get on here. I think who's the boss is really, we can be answered with a question. Where's the power? Right. And if we ask that question again, first of all, think of the different ages of those kids. Clearly, we could give the parents the, the right away to be the boss of the young child who needs to be taken care of and directed, but not so much with the adult child where you can't really be their boss. Right. So that's the, just the first is just everybody has power. And part of it is just what age are you? Right. Yeah. And the other thing, though, is that what we've found is, when I said before, parents are just people, what we mean that really specifically, if you can become more aware of what we call how you're built emotionally, if you can become more aware of that, you get to just be you and learn a couple of ways that given who you are, you can actually wield and share power in a way that will work for your kids and who they are. Okay, so we're talking here about the the parent in particular. Can I just go back to where there's parents, parent, grandparents, there may be other adults, and, and how to sort of sort that out? Is this something that has to be articulated where the power lies? Well, again, I realize, you know, you're talking about roles in the family. That's super important, but if you just keep thinking about this idea that if each person has a natural sort of power style. So what you said before is what about when the baby comes? So imagine a scenario where whoever the adults are in the house that are the caregivers, let's say, and we kind of say, are you lion or lamb? Because all your life, you might have been a, a little bit more submissive and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't mean you're a doormat or you might've been more like a lion, a little, just more of a powerhouse. And that doesn't have to be domineering or a bad thing either. But suppose you're just a little lamb-like and it's worked very well for you. And this child enters the house, whether you adopt them, foster them, or give birth to them, they land. And what if they are a powerhouse? Boom, they land on your porch. And now you've been quite lamb-like and it's worked really well. And now there's this person who just naturally is powered up and they have that kind of power. What we're suggesting is whoever the adult slash caregivers are, what they're going to have to do is know what their natural style is, grapple with the natural style of the children of whatever age who need a little bit of protection and direction, and then be able to say, given who we all are, how can we share power in this house in a way that makes people feel safe, and heard, but and also not have to work too hard to manage it all the time, not always having to be just exhausting yourself in power battles. So how on earth do you do that, Joanne? If you've got a if you've got a lion as a child and you are a lamb as a parent, how do you do that? I mean, well, we could start by saying how to would most of us do it naturally? And is that we just cower, cower in the corner. And uh, my husband and I always joke about being the ball boys. And if you're a tennis fan, you'll know what the ball boys do. They stand at attention, they rush in to do the task, and they stand at attention again. So many parents feel like tennis ball boys, right? So instead, this idea is this. This is where, this, your podcast is about emotion. This is where emotion comes in. 
You can go to parenting courses, lots of helpful stuff out there, lots of advice. But I feel like a lot of it tells me, don't be Joanne anymore, be Lou or be Fred or be this person. Be If you were a lion, be a lamb. If you were too much of a lamb, be a lion. And I think I can't do that. But what I can do, because I have a brain and so do you and so do the kids and so does the grandma and so does everybody in the house. And a brain is run by emotion. Emotion is such an important guidance system in the brain. So what we tell people is, you don't have to learn how to be a parent. You just have to learn about your emotions. And emotions, if you learn them, it's like learning a new language. Emotion is a guidance system that what we call it, if you can read it and heed it. So understand your emotion signals that your brain is trying to give you and know how to follow them as a guidance system. That is going to help you, even if you're a lamb and your lion kid comes into your house and just sort of takes charge because you can learn how to power up, how to share power, how to power down, and how to do all of that by tuning into your own, uh, your co-parents or other people in the house and the child's uh, emotion and emotion needs. So you might hear that I'm a little bit focused on this lamb, you know, the lamb parent. Yes. Because how I, how I identified as a parent um, in some ways. And so when you talk about powering up, what, what does that, how do you power up? Do you kind of disappear into the bathroom and, and, and do some kind of vocal uh, exercise to power yourself up to deal with your your lion-like child? What do you, how do you power up? I love it because every time you ask, I picture what we all normally do. So can we just make sure we're normalizing everything that parents do as opposed to what we are all saying, what they should do? So of course, I, I, I picture us going into the bathroom, but not necessarily to power up, but more to the, to sit in the corner and whimper or to bang our heads on the shower curtain or, you know, yeah, to have somehow yeah, exactly. Yeah, to hide under the sink. Exactly. So let's keep facing that. This is the whole point that we don't have to be somebody different. But yeah, what do I mean when I say power up? I guess, Lou, is that emotion awareness and competence. So just think of getting aware of emotion and getting good at emotion. That is a different kind of power than you ever imagined. And so let me give you an example. If I have this lion child and I can learn to say, aha, no wonder that made you so furious. That just felt so unfair and nobody asked you. Right away, the power in that kind of what we call validating the feelings involved, that has the power to calm the lion and to strengthen the lamb. So it's seeing the lion, acknowledging the lion, and what's going on for the lion? A hundred percent. And it's also knowing if I, if I, again, because I think you brought such a good one, when the, when the parent feels not up to the task, imagine if you are my lion child and I cower in front of you, even slightly, if I sort of flinch a little, it, it gives that child the feeling that they are too much, even for their big, strong parent, that they are, kids can even feel like monsters when they feel like if I sort of, you know, make a gesture to you and you flinch, right? So if, if I can feel that 
emotionally, the reason I might have cowered or gone down dog or powered down in the past might have to do with old emotion stories in my life. And if I can see the child, as you say, exactly for who they are and recognize, remember who I am, and I can provide that just being present and validation, the child comes because it's almost like in that way, power sharing is the child needs to know that they've got power to be free when they need to explore and that you've got power to control when they need to be contained. So a child no longer kind of gets frightened by themselves or shamed by their their anger, for instance? Exactly. Not frightened by themselves because they feel like the parents, I've got it, is the parent's message and not ashamed to see the look of I don't have it when the parent looks at them so exasperated and so feeling overwhelmed or overpowered by the child. So can we look at it the other way around? If you've got a lion parent or say there are two parents in the house and one of them is a lion and one of them is a lamb and there's two children and there's a, that sounds very nuclear is what I'm talking about here. And there's two children and one of them is a lion and one of them is a lamb. How does all, how do, how do you work your way through that? Well, I think first of all, it's, it's yet again, recognizing, you know, who, who everybody is and knowing that, I guess it's like thinking, you know, power sharing isn't and and even balance of power you brought up this could be political and organizational at the beginning you know balance of power does not mean equal power right balance of power means judicious or if you don't want another word just and fair use of the power that everybody has right that's what so that that means for example let's take the example of the opposite if i have all this power and I come in and my kid is naturally more, and again, we just use those terms, obviously lion, lamb, but we know what we're talking about. The kid is more lamb and I'm more lion. Let's take that one for a sec. You know, one of the things is that kids are such great teachers if we as parents can listen. What we've found is that, and just think about your own kids, guys, like kids have a built-in really strong justice system like a, just, a sense of the scales of justice. And about this one in power, I would say is almost more than any other. Again, I mentioned it before, but I want to say it again. They seem to know that they need a certain amount of being taken care of or controlled or, or right, so for the parents to have more power. And they need a certain amount of their own to find their own will and their own way and their own who they are and to explore, right? So they need to be secure and to be free. And they have a sense. And so if you come in all big, nasty power on the meek person, you might think you have a compliant child and you might be like, oh my gosh, thank goodness my kid isn't like that one next door that's always losing it, right? But in fact, your kid might get compromised because what you've done is you've got someone who your big power and their little power kind of works, but ultimately that kid will find their power in one way or the other. We don't want emotions to become problems, but when they do, when kids start to mess with their eating or their well-being or with substances or with inappropriate peer stuff, all of that you can see as them saying, well, my inner self needs to find its power expression. I'll find it wherever I can find a chink in the armor, if you see what I mean. So the thing is with the overpowering parent, the kid will seem to comply 
or really rebel and get in trouble. But either way, they will slip out between the cracks and then you don't have in the, in your sphere of influence at all, if you see what I mean. Yeah, so they need to feel secure but also free. And does that does that mean that the parents will feel secure and free at the same time? Well, let's face it. If, if there's a parent out there who feels secure and free, can they put their hand up? Because I don't know. I don't know if we feel that. But I think we can see, if we can be in for the long game, we can see it work. You know, so many parents that we work with emotion-focused skills training, will they'll say, tell us things like this. Their kid fought back and it didn't work and what you're teaching me isn't working. And then they'll hear their kid on, a phone, on the phone to a friend using the exact strategies that the parent used, which is validating the emotion, helping the person see, you know, that whatever they're feeling or whatever they're doing, it makes sense, no wonder. And then, the uh, so they'll hear the kids actually using this with their siblings, with friends. So seeing them be able to flourish in the world because you were able to help them, you know, like both operate with healthy protective boundaries yourself and help your kid develop their own. So I think that's that's where you see it. We talk in another episode on this podcast, Joanne, about self-compassion and as you're saying, you know, getting to understand yourself and and I guess be be compassionate with yourself about how you are, how you're built, as you say. Yeah. And you know what's so funny? I mean, it's so true. Obviously, it's so important. Some people have a strong reaction. So I'm going to guess some people listening are going to have a strong reaction to compassion. You know, we use these tools also with some pretty rowdy sports teams. They don't like it when we bring in the word compassion. They don't want to have compassion when they're out there big professional competitors, right? So another way to think of it, if for some reason it's hard for you to swallow the notion of compassion, it's we say, if everybody had to change to be a parent, I think that would be very hard. Just think if you were crap at math, and then in order to be a parent, you had to be good at math. I'd be like, well, I wouldn't be able to be a parent then because I can't do math. I just can't change certain parts of me. So both the compassion, but met with, we call it the almost don't change approach. And what the don't change approach means is understand what makes you hold on to old stories and not change. Even when people say, why can't you just see it? If you just didn't shout at your kid, everything would be so much better. Well, I don't know. Some people shout. And so if they can be more like, all right, what what's that part of me? What's that old story in me that makes me shout when my kids do that certain thing? Do you see the almost difference? It, it doesn't come in on the road of compassion. It comes in on, no wonder I can't change that. And ironically, that is a little bit of compassion. Mm. Because this is who I am. This is how I Because feel. this is who I am. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we, you know, obviously we want our kids' safety first, but taking all those things for granted, the basics, Kids also just, you know, we, we have this, well, there are so many little sound bites we have in the program, but one of them is, you know, the best gift you can give your children is your own happiness, right? And all the research, now that we just named that a little bit, shows that kids don't need us to be perfect. And in fact, when we're overly attuned, it's like, again, it doesn't leave enough freedom for their own self-development. So parents make mistakes. And when they forgive themselves, the kids don't have to do the hard work of making sure we don't feel guilty. Do you see what I mean? If I say, oh my gosh, I'm such a bad mom, then my 
kids have to say, no, mom, you're not a bad mother. But if I can just really say, okay, I, I made a mistake. I can make amends. I can apologize even, but I don't have to be so swallowed up in guilt that my kids then go around with a non-happy, guilt-ridden, like sort of shame, you know, shamed out mom. Your words has kind of given me some sort of reassurance about myself as a parent. I'm hoping that other people are feeling that as well. And also to know that there, there are ways of becoming more emotionally savvy if you want to become a more comfortable parent and to, you know, to celebrate your parenting rather than it being just a hard slog. A hundred percent. I think if you think of all the the funny little poignant, sweet emotion moments you have the, over the course of the years with your kids, right? Whether it's when they're little and they say something or when they're teens and they forget that they're too cool for school and they actually sit down and talk to you for an hour or 20 minutes even. I think when you think of those, how sweet emotion moments can be, and you think, what if emotion could be the thing that helped me through the difficult times too? I'm telling you, Lou, personally with adult children i work it every single day and i find it is so much more doable for me to work on my emotions and how i come across than it is to change myself to become the parent that i imagine i should be i'm sure you've been a fabulous and are a fabulous parent joanne thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with me thank you so much for having me lou Dr. Joanne Darhunty, who is supervising and consulting clinical psychologist based in Toronto in Canada. Thank you for listening in. Joanne's book, Emotion-Focused Skills Training for Parents, is published by Empty Chair Publishers. And if you'd like to find out more about this episode, and other episodes in this podcast series, please go to our website, emotionfocused.com.